you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading there uh, in verse 32 of Acts chapter 15. It says this, And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was also a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated today. We're continuing our journey through the book of Acts, and last week in the, in the first part of Acts chapter 15, we saw really this tremendous change that occurred in the early church. We saw that the council in Jerusalem uh, officially established this, that the Gentiles did not need to be circumcised and keep the laws of Moses in order to be saved. And if you remember last week, as we read through that passage, you'll remember that Peter stood up in the midst of the council and he made the point that it is now by the grace of God that both the Jew and Gentile are saved. We talked about how Paul even wrote in his letter to the Galatians that no one is saved by the works of the law, that the only way that you and I can be made right with God is by faith in what Jesus did on the cross, because in Jesus' death, understand this, our sin debt is completely paid. It is completely paid. And so what does that mean? It means there's nothing that we can do to add to the finished work of the cross. But we know this today. Not only did Jesus die on a cross, but he was also raised to life. And we believe that in his resurrection, that we are now empowered to the newness of life. And so as we place our faith in the finished work of the cross, understand this, the Holy Spirit then comes and empowers us to live holy. Amen? He empowers us to live holy. And so last week we talked about works. How does that play a part in our lives? We talked about getting it on the right side of the equation, right? And so Paul ends the second chapter of Galatians by saying that, man, if it were somehow possible to be made right with God by just doing good, in, order, in other words, if we could just do enough to please God, then Christ didn't need to come, right? He didn't need to die. We would not need God's grace. If we could completely obey the law and, and do right in every area, but we know this this morning, that's an impossibility. How many of you know that, right? That is an impossibility. In, in fact, Paul writes in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. 
all fall short of the glory of God. And this is really the distinctive between Christianity and all other religions. A lot of people say, well, all religion is the same. You choose your religion, but I choose my. Listen, here's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. Because in some way, all other religions require a person to earn their right to enter to heaven or nirvana or, or bliss, right? But the word of God says that man's heart is just too wicked and too deceitful. It says that our good deeds are never enough to negate the justice we deserve for our bad deeds. And as you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus actually makes this radical declaration that sin is not only the wicked acts that we commit, but it's also the desires that are expressed in our thoughts. And when you begin to think about that, you say, wow, right? How do I get away from that completely? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus said, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so he says it's more than just your actions. It's the posture of your heart and your thoughts and your minds, right? And so often, I think when we look at ourselves, we can say, Man, I'm pretty good. I'm doing all right. The problem is we generally determine our own goodness by comparing ourselves with other people, right? But how many of you know that's not God's standard? <laughs> God's standard is himself. And if we look at that standard, we all fall short. And that is exactly why we need God's grace. We need to accept the justice that he provided for us in Jesus. And so as we look at the God of Scripture, understand that he holds the highest standard of any religion but he also has the greatest love and the greatest grace of any religion, amen? And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they grab a hold of this, and I, I think they really understand salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and as they understand that message, they say, we gotta share this message. We gotta share this message of grace. And as they begin to preach it, those who have been exposed to works righteousness their whole life, they hear the gospel of grace, and they say, wow, that's good news, right? And they respond. And can I just say that same gospel of grace is alive and well today in churches that believe and preach the Bible, in churches that hold to the authority of Scripture. But sadly, there are many churches that reject the message today, and they say, well, that idea is somehow antiquated. We've got to get with the times, right? Now, hear me. It's an ancient idea, but it's not an antiquated idea. It's an ancient idea because it goes all the way back to Abel's sacrifice. Hebrews 11.4 tells us, By faith Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And so at the time of Christ, this idea of, of an offering or, or a sacrifice was already thousands of years old. We know today that the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross for us was actually the fulfillment of prophecies and, and types and, and shadows going all the way back thousands of years. And so while the message of the cross is ancient, I want to tell you it is not antiquated. It, it is just as relevant today as it ever was. And so I want to encourage you, don't stop preaching the cross. Don't stop preaching the cross. Don't stop sharing this message of grace. You, you see, this council in Jerusalem really they confirmed what had been foreseen by the prophets and declared by Jesus. Hear me today. There is nothing antiquated or irrelevant about the love of God for imperfect people like you and me. It's a message that the world so desperately needs to hear today. And so Paul and Barnabas, get this, they, they return to Antioch. They, they, they join the preaching and, and teaching team in the church there. And 
I think they just want to spend some time there because they realize there is spiritual warfare that's taking place in regards to these new disciples. Because they led these individuals to Christ, they had seen them come to faith, but after they hear about these, these false teachers, these Judaizers, they wonder, man, how grounded are these people, right? Are, are they really growing in their faith? Are their, their beliefs really biblical? In, in the same way that we as parents, we want to make sure our children are doing well, right? They're staying on track. I believe we ought to have the same desire for spiritual sons and daughters, amen? That, that they're on track, that they're serving the Lord. We don't want to see people just make a profession of faith. We want to know that they're growing in their faith and that they're spiritually healthy. And so Paul and Barnabas are ready to, to go back now, and, and they want to check on the new disciples in these other churches. Even though they've, they've faced hardship before, they're, they're willing to face it again. Look at verse 36. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now remember, Mark is a cousin of Barnabas, but he didn't stick with them on the last missionary trip. All right, he, he bounced, right? And, and Par- Barnabas, though, being this son of encouragement, he wants to give Mark another chance. Remember, it was Barnabas that had introduced Paul to the apostles back in Acts chapter 9. It was Barnabas who went looking for Paul in Tarsus to bring him to the work in Antioch. We've got something to do together, right? And so he was certainly lived up to his name. He was certainly a son of encouragement. He had a big heart. But can I just say, Paul was a little different, Okay. <laughs> He was a little different in his personality. Paul was one who would never, ever compromise, and he doesn't want to see anything hinder the gospel in any way. It's interesting because we see very clearly the difference in the gifts of these two leaders. They're both great men, both godly leaders, but they're very different in their personalities, and they're very different in their giftings. There's a time when when Peter goes to the church in Antioch, a mostly Gentile church, and some Jews come up from Jerusalem to Antioch, and Peter goes with Barnabas and he eats at the the kosher table, a separate table from the Gentiles. And and Paul really rebukes Peter, Barnabas as well. He says, you're acting like hypocrites because you're acting one way before the Jewish brothers from Jerusalem and you're acting another way when you're not here. You see, the unspoken message to the Gentiles when they did that was, well, the Jews obey the laws of Moses and they're somehow better. Now, now I think in that instance, it was Barnabas' heart for his Jewish brothers that caused him to compromise. But again, Paul has this uncompromising spirit, and so he calls out their hypocrisy. And so here in verse 39, look at this, these two different gifts, they clash. They argue about whether they're going to take John Mark with them on another missionary journey, right? Verse 39 says, and there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, and he sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. I said this last week, that, that spiritual men and spiritual women can disagree, right? Th- that's what we see right here. Again, two great men of God who fiercely disagree over something that we could see both sides of in Scripture. The Word of God talks about being an encourager, right? It talks about being one who has compassion and wants to help others. But there's also this idea of the purist who says, man, the mission is too important, right? And every single leader needs to be above reproach. Every leader needs to be tested. And so how do we balance both of these things when there's no clear instruction on what to do in these situations? It's interesting because 
Luke, as, as the writer of the book of Acts, he doesn't tell us that Paul was right. He doesn't tell us that Barnabas was right. He doesn't say, this guy made the right choice. He does tell us that the church commended Paul and Silas to the grace of God. And it's interesting that nothing more is said about Barnabas and John Mark's mission, right? But can I just say this? These kind of disagreements arise very often in ministry <laughs> and, and in churches, right, and in denominations. And sometimes it's not an issue of right and wrong. It's a difference of thought and it's a difference of opinion, right? Matthew Henry writes in his commentary about this passage, he says this, even those that are united to one and the same Jesus and sanctified by one and the same spirit have different apprehensions, different opinions, different views, and different sentiments in points of prudence. It will be so while we are in this state of darkness and imperfection. In other words, none of us see clearly, right? He says, we shall never be all of one mind till we come to heaven where light and love are perfect. There is a day coming when we will all be of the same mind and completely on the same page, right, Ab about everything. But can I just say we're not there yet, right? We're not there yet. And so what do we do in, in the meantime? Well, we ought to follow our conviction. I believe that. God's leading us. We're going to follow our conviction, but we also ought to do it without bitterness and anger for others. And it's actually amazing here that out of this disagreement between two men of God, now there are two missionary teams going out instead of one, right? And so what comes of this isn't really a bad thing, and it may be what God intended. And even though they, they part ways, Paul and Barnabas, they don't lose respect for each other. That's clear in their later, later writings, right? They don't lose respect for each other. And so now there's two teams that are going out, and I, I want you to think for a moment about the boldness of these men. Because the first time they went out, they had no idea what they were in for, right? They were just going, they were commended by the church, they're sent out, but now they have a pretty good idea of what they're in for. Remember, they, they had escaped stoning in one city. Paul had been stoned and left for dead in another city. They were chased out of towns along the way. They knew that they would most likely face the same kind of persecution if they went back, and yet they chose to go back. Remember, they were already set apart for this work, and the calling of God was still in their lives. And so they go out believing, man, God's going to lead us, and God's going to guide us. What about you? When God calls you to those difficult places, you're like, I've been there before, God, I know how it goes. He calls you back. Do you go out trusting that he'll lead you, trusting that he'll guide you? And so both of these teams, they go out first to their homelands, but then they're going to go to other lands where churches had yet to be established. Verse 31, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we can see here that Syria had other churches besides just the church in Antioch. And, and Paul and, and Silas make their way through the churches, and they travel this, this Roman trade route really on their way to the church in Cilicia. That's the furthest north that Paul had gone on his first missionary journey. But everywhere they go, here's what they want to share. They want to share, guys, here's the decision that was made in Jerusalem by the council. Let me tell you about that. And they share testimonies, and then they preach and teach from the Word of God. This was Paul's work, to strengthen the church. As you look at his letters, you see, that was his heart. I want to strengthen the church. Because hear me today, in addition to evangelism, we believe in going out and sharing the word. We're going to do that Friday night. Hopefully, you're going to do that throughout the week, wherever God takes you. We believe in the importance of evangelism. But how many of you know new Christians need strong churches? It's not enough just to lead somebody in, in a prayer and say, oh, be on your way. I hope it works out, right? New Christians need strong churches. Chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, 
A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now remember, Lystra was the place where Paul had been stoned, okay? Like with rocks, just want to clarify, with rocks. He was stoned there, okay? Got to make that distinction. Um, <laughs> some of you got that. But that, that very new church there, there was a, a disciple named Timothy. And later on, we're going to learn in Paul's letter to Timothy of Timothy's grandmother named Lois and his mother named Eunice. They were Jewish women who faithfully taught Timothy the scripture. And it's a reminder to us, parents, that our, our most important calling as Christians is to convey our faith to our children, right? And our grandchildren, just like Eunice and Lois had done. Because Timothy would go on to become a disciple of Paul. He would go on to become a very gifted teacher in the church. In fact, he would co-author some letters with Paul. He'd be sent by Paul to handle issues in some of the churches in Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica, right? But it says there about Timothy, look what it says about him, verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. We understand this to be one of the first qualifications of an elder in the church, that he would be a respected member in the faith community. Timothy had a faith, and he had a character that was obviously noticed by others. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Now, this verse can be a bit confusing, right? Because we just talked last week about how one does not need to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. And, and so, so why is Paul circumcising Timothy? I think it's because Timothy was well known in the Jewish community. Again, it was known that he was a son of a Greek. And so Paul says, well, if we're going to bring the gospel to the Jews, why don't we just remove any hindrance from them hearing the gospel from Timothy? And so he circumcises him. And hear me, it's not for the sake of Timothy's salvation. Paul would never do that, right? Paul, though, is willing to do whatever it takes so that there would be less to hinder the gospel. This seems to be a, a unique case because later on, when Titus goes with Paul to Jerusalem, the, the brothers in Jerusalem, they, they welcome an uncircumcised Gentile among the brothers, right? Again, the Jerusalem council already decided there's no need for Gentiles to be circumcised. And so what's happening here really shows Paul's belief that we should become all things to all men to win them, right? Again, did Timothy need to be circumcised to be saved? Absolutely not. But yet at the same time, he's laying down his rights. <laughs> he's laying down his privileges because he realizes my rights might offend others, right? I wonder in our own lives, what are some of those things that we would say, I have a right to this, I have a privilege to do this. Nobody can tell me I can't do this, but that we would lay it down to not be a hindrance to someone else hearing the gospel. And so this is not a have to, but apparently he's willing to in order that his Jewish brethren might hear the message of the gospel in Jesus. I, I've heard it said that every one of us needs a Paul and we all need a Silas, and we all need a Timothy. We all need, I, I believe this, a Paul. We need someone who can mentor us, someone who's more mature in the faith, and generally it's someone we look to as a godly example, and we look at them and say, man, I, I hope my life would look like that one day, right? And hear me, I'm not talking about perfect people because there are no perfect people, but each of us, we need those that we look up to, right? And we know, man, I know that person's heart. I know their heart is to serve the Lord. I know they have a love for Jesus. I, I can see it in the decisions that they make and the way that they live. I can see it in the fruit that comes out of their lives. And so I have to ask you today, who's Paul to you? 
Who's that godly mentor in your life? And if you say, well, well, no one's approached me, I would say, don't wait for them to approach you. You go and find them, right? You go and find someone and you say, you know what, I'm looking at your life, I've watched you, not to be creepy, but I'm watching your life, <laughs> right? I, I see fruit in your life. Can, can I just spend some time with you? Can I take you out to breakfast, right? Can I call you every once in a while, maybe ask you for some advice on things? Would you pour into my life? And hear me, it doesn't need to be all formal. It doesn't need to be programmatic. You just say, you know what, I see your life. Could you give input and counsel on this? I, I would love that. But understand this, we also need a Silas. Each one of us, we need Silas's. We need brothers and sisters that come alongside of us and, and, and walk with, it, uh, with us. And usually that's someone in a similar place in life that can kind of spur us on. They, they know our struggles and they're walking with us. And I gotta say, very often that is our spouse, okay? that's with us, it's walking with us, right? But it, it may be someone who shares the same vision and direction you have in your life, especially if you're not married, okay? As God brings Silas's into your life, I wanna tell you this, don't miss them, though. Don't miss them. I'm especially speaking to the men, okay, in the room, because I know this. Guys, we have a hard time accepting our need for encouragement and for companionship. Sometimes we're, we, I got this, I'm gonna go alone, right? But, but, but if we pass up on, these brothers like Silas in our lives, we miss out, I think, on a great blessing so often. And so who's the Silas in your life? Who are the Siluses in your life? Who are the encouragers walking beside you and, and cheering you on? We need the Pauls and we need the Siluses, but I also believe this, we need the Timothys. Because as we grow in the Lord, here's what we need to do. We need to look at those that are younger in the Lord and, and say, man, what can I say to them? What can I, how can I encourage them? How can I speak into their situation? As we've learned lessons, sometimes the hard way, right? That we would look and we say, can I just share with you? This is something God taught me. Can I just share this with you? Because the great commission is not to make converts. It's to make disciples. That's our goal as a church. We're not trying to make converts and just grow numbers. We want to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that only happens as we, as the church, look and say, well, who's my Paul? Who's my mentor? Who are my Silas? Is those that I'm running with? And who's that Timothy that I can invest my life and my lessons into? So who's the Timothy in your life? And here's how you recognize the Timothys. They're generally someone who's eager to learn from you. Like they've already, you've already got their ear. They're already right there, right? And, and they're watching you. And the question is, are you intentional about what you're showing them with your life? Who's your Timothy? I want to encourage you, church, to take some time to think on this this week. If we're going to grow in the Lord, I think each of these is a part of our lives, right? Who's my Paul? Who's the mentor? Who's my side with someone I run with? Again, for married couples, that's generally your spouse. And so then it's how can we run better together, right? And, and who's your Timothy, that one that you're investing into? I, I wonder if you could identify each of these in your life. I, I bet you probably have some idea of who they might be. But I want you to take some time this week. Can you do that? And just be aware and open and pray for the Holy Spirit to direct you in each one of these. Look at verse 4. It says, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. And so they're, they're journeying to each one of these cities where they had shared the gospel, where they saw a response, where churches were established, and they're sharing the decisions made by the council in Jerusalem. They want to Hey, guys, here, just want to let you know, here's what's been decided, right? And some of the churches that they visited had already been affected by the Judaizers, and so they need to hear this message. Okay, you guys are not under the yoke of the law. 
at the same time, these churches also needed to hear the message that they are not to compromise with idolatry in order that their testimony would be pure. And, and so look at what happens, verse 5. This is the result. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. They were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. As Paul and Silas visit with them, as they invest their lives, as they share the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, as they share from the word of God, the believers are strengthened in their faith. And can I just tell you that when believers are strengthened in their faith, they attract others to the faith, right? When believers are strengthened in their faith, they become bold to share their faith with others. And, and so the result here in Acts 16 is not surprising. The church grows once again. And so I, I think we need to be reminded today of that same message that went to those early churches. We need to understand, church, that salvation comes by grace alone. But at the same time, can I just say, we're also called to live differently from the world around us. James chapter 1, verse 27, James says that we need to keep ourselves from, from being, un, keep ourselves unstained from the world. But that only comes, that only happens as we find new life by putting our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes, as we prepare to come to the communion table in just a few moments. Man, there's so much that we could see in this chapter. There's so much that we could deal with. We could spend a lot of time right here. But we've seen this already, how, how strong differences with other believers can happen, but we still need to respect and honor one another. We need to not harbor bitterness against each other. We need to, to, to ask the Lord to lead us and to guide us. But we also need to ask each one of us, do I have a Paul in my life? <laughs> what about a Silas? And we all need, we all need a Timothy. And really, the overarching question for each of us is this, are we being strengthened in our faith? Are we being strengthened in our faith? Listen, I, I pray that happens from week to week as you come here on a Sunday morning. But I gotta say this, Sunday morning's not enough. Sunday morning's not enough. I, I hope that you hear the word of God from week to week in this place and, and you don't say, well, I'm filled up. I'm good to go till next Sunday, right? That's enough. I'm good until next Sunday. But I pray that as we spend this time together, that it would cause more of a hunger for the word of God. That it would cause more of a hunger in your life for the things of God. And so the question is, are we being strengthened in our faith so that we can be spiritually mature so that the church can grow? You see how that follows, right? As we're strengthened in our faith, we become spiritually mature and the church grows. And if that's not happening, then we have to ask why. Sometimes it's as simple as misplaced priorities, right? I'm focusing all my attention over here and not in what's most important. And because of that, we're not, maybe we're not taking to heart what God is showing us, right? And so as we prepare to come to the communion table, I think this is a good time for us to take a moment and stop. Say, man, am I in the same place I was last year or is there growth in my life? There ought to be growth, right? We know this healthy things grow. Healthy things grow, right? And so it's not a moment of condemnation, but it's just a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart even right now. And say, God, if I'm not growing, <laughs> show me. Maybe, again, you need that Paul in your life. You need those Silas's, those brothers and sisters to run with you. I think one of the, the worst things through this whole COVID season is people have isolated themselves and they think they can do it. 
communities. We're called to live in community, amen, with brothers and sisters running on us. And so maybe it's finding those silences around you. Or maybe you have enough of the Lord and the word of God in you, but it's not flowing out of you. There's no Timothys in your life. There's no young men or young women that you're investing your life into. And so as we prepare to come to the communion table, as we prepare to remember what Christ has done for us, allow the Holy Spirit to just examine you in this moment. However he wants you to respond, you respond. But you take a moment just right now. Say, God, speak to me. Speak to me.